No, okay, let's go back and do it the dumber way. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just, I'm going to do it the easy way that's uncomplicated and probably won't lose our audio. Welcome <laughs> listeners to Gay Space Communism, the Alpha Quadrant's only show that's hosted by four people and talks about, yeah, you know what we do. It's the thing. My name is always is Paul Byron. I am joined, as is our custom, by all of my co-hosts. I'm, I'm Corey Archibald. Cohen. Amy Hassel. It's been a while since we've had all of us together, so we forgot <laughs> what order we say our names in. That being said, <laughs> uh, it's an exciting time to be alive. We have been watching stuff because it's still horrible out in the world, and television is one of the only things that soothes that balm because it takes away my need to think. That's not true, but it isn't that bad. Uh, that being said, watching Trek, of course we have. I have been scoping out all the new shows. I am excited for exactly two of them. It's a real shame. Uh, the other ones just look like assholes in space. <laughs> A genre I well enjoy, but think is represented <laughs> by Firefly. And I mean, like, and then shows of its ilk, right? Like, I don't know that that's the same story that Trek is meant to tell. And by, and I'm so I'm talking about like Picard, which I really enjoy for its morality plays and let's slap around the old guy. But I mean, it's a bunch of misfits in a spaceship skirting the frontier. This is Star Wars. This is the other kind of space story where the sort of central authority is the bad guy. And then there's the kids one, which looks cool and it's going to be on Nickelodeon. It's got a cool bunch of aliens. It's good. I like that they get to do more fun stuff with weird species. That being said, it also looks like fan service Firefly stuff. I will, of course, watch them anyway because I'm an idiot. That being said, what are y'all been looking at? Well, so my daughter has been on a Star Trek strike again. Still? She's been on it for a while now. And so we've been watching. Sure, she's showing movie. solidarity with the McKee. Right, of course. You know, she said to me, I just really can't get with this imperialist bourgeois propaganda. Mom, I can't believe you watch this. I'm going to my oh. room to read Ayn Rand. What? <laughs> and she's still your daughter? <laughs> no, none of these things happen. She's seven. Yeah, she's still I my mean, kid. She's your daughter, so I was prepared to believe it. <laughs> to be, uh, yeah, okay, fair. She does have the verbal gene, but she's not quite that aware yet. However, she's obsessed with Sailor Moon Crystal, um, which oh, leads to wonderful. a funny story because Sailor Moon Crystal, there is not enough of it, unfortunately. It is the complete like Sailor Moon manga arc. It's really very cool. I liked it a lot. And when I tried to comfort my daughter, who has fallen in love with Tuxedo Mask and was extremely disappointed to hear that there was not any more Sailor Moon Crystal. He's just the watch. guy they go to school with. <laughs> How can they not see that? Yeah, tell me about it. This is like an age old thing, right? But anyway, so they figure it out, whatever. She figures out it's the end of the series and she's just heartbroken because there won't be more tuxedo mask for her to enjoy. And so I tried to show her the 90s version of Sailor Moon, you know, the one that like I grew up with. And maybe 10 minutes into the first episode, she just starts sobbing because she's like, <laughs> I hate this. This is awful. And you know what? I got to be honest, watching it again, like 20 years later, she's right. Doesn't hold up, huh? It was bad. <laughs> I just want to say what a sweet prank it would be were I your kid to become a Randian. <laughs> just a re I realized realizing now that that's an exciting opportunity that I'll have to cue your kid on in for like I deeply ironic Randianism. Anyway, that won't happen. She won't listen to me. It is upsetting to follow back up with media you love though, because I was I also watched. Yeah, and you know it was not particularly well animated. <laughs> You know, I did watch that recently, though, and maybe this is another just I have poor taste thing, but I didn't think it was that bad. <laughs> See also your opinion on generations. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I, You guys asked me to break the tie on generations, and I'm ready to do that if we're going to have that discussion today. I'm just, uh, I'm 
Yeah. Listen, I actually think Generations is fine. I do too, actually. I think, Paul, you're outnumbered. <laughs> I think Paul's outvoted here. The positions are it sucks versus <laughs> exactly. it's not that bad. I mean, like, look. Yeah, I mean, look. nobody's going to argue no. it's like the greatest movie or even the best Star Trek movie, but. Good villain, good plot, good space thing. The denouement is three old guys wrestling in the <laughs> desert. What the fuck, Star Trek? I'm sorry. Please, let's go on. Here I am so full of shit. I am reminded by this conversation that I recently watched the Star Trek reboot. Oh. You know, with like uh, Zachary Quinto or whatever. Right. And you know what? Honestly, also fine. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we were kind of talking about that before we started recording. It, it's not Trek in the in the traditional. Um, it's a script problem. It's entirely that they just shoved an action space movie. But the actors. But it is well cast. Like, I think Zachary Quinto makes an excellent Spock. You know, I, I think it's fine. It's not my favorite. But, yeah. you know, then again, that fits in pretty much with all of the Trek movies that are just you know, they're, they're fine. They're fine. I noticed that they reused all of the assets for the like Vulcan child education bubble farm uh, <laughs> in discovery later. <laughs> I was like, wow, they actually literally used like the same CG setting for this. That's hilarious. I guess that's nice <laughs> consistency. Well, I mean, one, Star Trek has massive consistency issues in terms of continuity of representation simply because it's 40 years of production, right? Like the new Enterprise that they're going to be doing in running in Brave New World is going to look so much fucking better. But it will be evocative of the one, like, much like the the Cage Planet uh, that they went to in the in Discovery, the sort of revisiting of some of the pre-TOS stuff. Right. Like, oh, you okay, I can see. You're doing actually a pretty good job of calling that forward, right? And like, okay, you've just given it more depth. Um, like the super colorful uniform versions, but the sweet discovery cut of the cloth, but like it's the bright yellow and the, and the, and the blue and the red. I don't know. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of fun to be had with, in terms of just like what they can and can't build and what you get to have, which I mean, that's why it was fun to remake new ones. You got fucking sweet new CG now. It doesn't just like a foam carved out dome that you're like, put the kids in here. All right. (laughs) Bubble farm. Is that asbestos? Yeah, but it's safe. Child education bubble farm. Yeah, so I was going to say, I'm still laughing about the idea of a child education bubble farm. <laughs> I'm sorry. I remember school and I mean, looking at what they're selling schools right now. Well, yeah, get on. You wish for that sweet Vulcan bubble farm. No, I'm sorry. I'm old, so I actually don't really remember school. I'm sorry. <laughs> Good for you, honestly. School is bad. As as a former educator, I just want to tell our audience, do something worthwhile. (laughs) (laughs) Don't go into debt. God, that's brutal, but I feel you. Learn how to plumb. Yeah, learn a fucking trade. Learn a trade. (laughs) From someone with three degrees, please just become a plumber. We're going to need it very badly when (laughs) capitalism collapses in about 15 years. Anyway, Rachel, we're going to hear you out. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So hear me out. If Star Trek is the West Wing for communists, within the Star Trek canon, are Vulcans Marxist-Leninist and Romulans Trotskyist? The beard from Mirror Universe says yes. It's mostly just that Spock looks like Lenin. That doesn't actually count, so... Yeah, I don't know. This might just be one of those questions we leave open and the audience has to respond with later, but... Can you give us a little more here? What makes you say this? Well, when one is talking to hardline dialectical materialists, such as Marxist-Leninists, they have a tendency to say that it is a science that it is a strictly like logical, rational process, or I guess it's a scientific method or whatever. It's a left-wing facts don't care about your feelings kind of variety. Kind of, yeah. Well, kind of. I mean, that, of course, that mischaracterizes none of them actually it, know what a... that means because none of them have ever done science. 
but they, they do think they're doing scientific method for history. Like, you know, that's yeah. what they think they're doing. Well, and I mean, I'll speak up yes. for the social sciences. They do like, have a they method. Have have that is a thing. Shit. Like, it's not. Yeah, like it is the yeah. way you get it. Like, doing social sciences correctly is a at least practice and process. However, yes, I agree. Yes. I agree. However, they're not actually doing science because they're not actually doing experiments, which is important because uh, there's a difference. Because when you are constructing an experiment, you have to construct it very carefully and sort of hermetically to try and isolate specific variables. And they're not doing that. Right. And so it is not a Arguably, scientific you can't method do that. by like you, definition. Yeah. It is a philosophy. Well, I think, it's a valid philosophy. Yeah. I think the problem is you, you have these uh, lenses that you look at history through, right? And the, the idea that the problem is ever assuming that it's not a warped lens. You know, the, the, the ML ideology is like, this is the unwarped lens to view history through. And it's like, no, 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 you are also seeing through a, exactly. a lens directly, yeah. you know? Every single thing is biased. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, we've been on this for a minute. I don't want to completely derail the pod. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a really well-established railed pod. Yeah. <laughs> Famously on task, gay space communism. We were going to wrap up our uh, holodeck viewing lists. Amy, you've been very busy in general. So you haven't watched anything good? Well, I have not watched Trek recently. I've been taking a break from Trek to watch Initial D, which is a beautiful anime about a young trans mask person who's like maybe, I don't know, like six months on T or something. They're trying to like connect with their father and their father's trying to connect with them through this like racing cars, basically, like drift racing. And wow. um, yeah, it's just a wonderful narrative. Wow. That sounds um, interesting. Actually. I'm convinced it's transcoded. <laughs> it's not it's not stated <laughs> honestly though i wouldn't like surprise me like it's not like trans people are not existing in japan or whatever yeah watch <laughs> watch initial d with takumi as a trans mask teenager yeah. in your head and it, it all fits like the way his dad acts around him and everything yeah well and i feel like this is a whole separate episode probably about a completely different podcast but like i do think that like it's important to note that when initial d came out it was that same period of time where there was a lot of like non-binary exploration in japanese media so i'm thinking oh. back to sailor moon that i was just watching right and that had the hotaru hotaru mm -hmm. was like talking to usagi and she was like are you a boy or a girl and their response was why does it matter or like wow. ranma one half was entirely about a person who was both a man and a woman contextually you know and was literally gender fluid because water was what changed their physical shape back and forth interesting um, and this was all like in the 90s and like late 80s and 90s when this was being published and they were both or all really popular manga and anime and stuff so wow i would not be surprised like if that sort of cultural narrative was in the back of initial d's team's minds you know well, uh -huh. culture and yeah. media mutually enforce each other. Something, something, Chomsky. <laughs> <laughs> here, here. Um, yeah, watch Initial D. <laughs> well, I am still working my way through my chronological viewing of Trek, although I am actually getting close to the end of that journey. I just recently finished Deep Space Nine, which is probably like the 10th or 11th time that I've watched Deep Space Nine all the way through. And every single time I get sad when it's over and I'm just sad that there's no more Deep Space Nine to watch, even though I could literally immediately go back and start watching it again. So um, I'm also wrapping up Voyager right now. I'm in the last season of Voyager again. And uh, after that, I'll have a 
couple of movies and then I'll finally get to start uh, Lower Decks, which I'm excited about because I've not yet watched any Lower Decks. So that's that's coming up next in the um, in the order of operations. So fired up about that. Well, let me tell you, it is designed for almost exactly this purpose because there are jokes from every era, line, cut, through line, like the cat lady from TAS. That species is the doctor. She's Dr. Katz. Do you get it? Ah, um, Dr. Anyway. Katz. Ah, ah, ah. That's hilarious. Can't wait. Oh, yeah, no, it's, it's real. I, I'm excited to get for you to get to that because it really is fun. Speaking of cats. Okay, uh, I have a story to tell you all. This is going to seem like a little bit of a tangent, but this is actually what was the kind of impetus for what we're going to talk about today. I had a thing happen to me recently, and I'm pretty mad about it, actually. Yeah, not really mad. I mean, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm online person outrage mad, but not like literally like angry mad. Um, no, I recently got banned from a Facebook group for cats. Well, for large animals. So you're, po you're posting dogs. No, no. Somebody created a Facebook group specifically to share large animals. And I posted a picture of one of my cats who is a, a husky boy. And they said that my cat was fat and that I was promoting chonky animal culture and that chonky animal culture is abuse, is animal abuse. And because I'm abusing my animal and I took exception to their description, they decided to ban me from that and another group that's a and I'm in like 50,000 cat groups on Facebook because I have a lot of cats, if you don't know that about right. me. Um, I'm an animal I rescuer. I stop you right there. Yeah. Can I see a picture of the cat? Uh, yes, I will share. Can a I see the picture? Can you share us the offend the offending image? We will, of course, attempt to include this in either a tweet yes, or the episode I will. notes. But I would like to see that myself. But yeah, I'm going to take your word for it that you're probably not abusing the animal. No, I. Um, well, so it's important to note that even within cats, there are different body types. Thank like, you. Uh, I have a Burmese cat, and Burmese cats are chonky by nature because they're from freaking mountains. Thank you. And it's snowy. Thank like, you. They were bred to survive those conditions. Like, yeah, these things like exist. Exactly. And so we do have to like be very careful about her weight, but she just tends to the chonky side regardless. Right. And my my favorite cats are Hemingways, which are huge mutant freaks. And they're great, but they're all enormous. So yeah. Right. Can, right. Yeah. Right. Or if you've ever seen like a Maine Coon. Yes. Well, obviously, obviously some are just like some cats are just like larger skeletal structures. And so, you know, that's that's one thing. And then there's also like the cats that have a lot of hair and they look fluffy and it's mostly mostly hair. Um, and no, there's but some chonkers look, out there. What there are do? some chonkers. And, and you know what? That's OK. Just because a cat may it's be cat. overweight doesn't doesn't mean that that animal is being abused. And I'm so angry about this because I am an animal rescuer. I have a lot of cats. I have a lot of dogs. I have a lot of animals just in general. And I literally, guys, I spend more on the health care for my animals than I spend on my own health care. And I'm currently recovering from two surgeries. So, you know, go ahead and miss me with the whole animal abuse That's thing. madness. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> yeah, right. Also, we're going to see, we're going to get all of you listeners, we're going to get pictures of all these kitties for you. You'll get to see them all, listeners. Yeah. I don't even think chonky is appropriate. I think we should be using the term thick king here. <laughs> well, okay. Anyway. I feel like that these are two separate categories of cat, but let's move forward. Hear me out on this. Will we be misgendering the cats? Do cats have gender? Don't care. Cut their gonads out. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> 
I'm not I'm not prepared to have that discussion today. But I I'll, I'll tell you this, you know, I the, the whole experience as dumb as it was, it it hit me really bad on two levels, you know. It was just a dumb Facebook thing and I've got plenty of other cat groups on Facebook where I don't have to put up with that kind of bullshit. So fine, whatever, ban me. I don't give a fuck. But it did upset I me. I don't have to stay here. I got 10 other cat <laughs> Facebook groups I could be shit posting in. <laughs> exactly. Meow. exactly. No, but oh, no. It, it it did upset me on two different levels. One because of the accusation that I'm abusing my cat that I literally, you know, I, I move heaven and earth to care for my animals and I, I help a lot of animals and help work with a lot of rescue groups. So there's that aspect of it. But it also hit me on a very personal level because I myself am going through a very radical body transformation right now as we speak. I have for years I have struggled with my weight. I have steadily gained weight over you know, the course of a number of years. And then several years ago, it reached a point where I had developed a really debilitating problem with my back. And the weight was making it so that I basically I couldn't walk. I couldn't stand um, for more than a couple minutes at a time without just basically wanting to die from the pain. And I couldn't lose weight because I couldn't do any of the things that you're supposed to do to lose weight. And none of those things ever worked for me anyway, because that's just not how my body was was created. So I have struggled with this for a long time. And I was finally persuaded by multiple doctors that the right course of action for me was a bariatric surgery. I did that last year. And and I immediately began to lose a lot of weight because of that and uh, also had some medical complications that resulted from that surgery that accelerated my weight loss in a pretty frightening way. So I literally have lost over 40% of my body weight in the last nine months. I've gone from around 300 pounds to I'm, I'm down to, you know, about 170 now. And it has been such a radical change. And I look back back on my life and you know all those years like I literally I grieve for that 15 year old girl that I was who was a completely perfectly healthy 150 pounds in high school and thought that I was you know unworthy of of love because of I wasn't meeting God, a body standard yeah. you know and I just grieve for the years of happiness that that cost me. And yeah. anyway, so like I, it, it hit me hard. No, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Like the only time in my life I was ever under 160 pounds or the only time of my life really since like ninth grade that I was under 165 pounds was when I was actively addicted to snorting Ritalin. And it was like the least healthy I've been in my life. Right. It's awful. <laughs> Yeah, no, like I was more at peace with my body, more happy with my body and who I was when I weighed 300 pounds than I was back when I originally, you know, was in like the 120, 150 range. And right. so, you know, just going through this massive body transformation, which by the way, thank God the uh, the surgery was successful. Not only have I lost a lot of weight, but it also alleviated my pain considerably. I, it was a pretty hard road. I'm still on that road. But, you know, just this whole idea that some random person can just decide that I am, you know, engaging in abusive behavior and making unhealthy choices for an animal on the basis of a photo and no other information made me so fucking angry because that is exactly what I have been dealing with my entire life. People making assumptions about my health and my body and who I am and my worth as a human being on the basis of an outward appearance with no other information. Anyway, um, so I wanted to talk about body positivity and how physical appearance 
endurance is manifested in the Trek universe. And I think that there's a lot of ways that we can kind of unpack this discussion. I know, Amy, you had some thoughts you wanted to add on this. Well, I guess um, first, I'd just like to say that it's not cool that you felt that way and no one needs to pretend that it is. And if you're listening to this and you weigh 150 pounds and you're in high school, like you are healthy, you are fine. Exactly. You know, like exercise, enjoy your body, enjoy your youth. You will keep it. You know, when you get 30, you can start worrying about like actually exercising to make your body look good. (laughs) Just enjoy and being young. Do moisturize though. That I that I feel like is work that I should have been doing beforehand. But oh, and definitely wear sunscreen. Definitely wear sunscreen. No, I will. I will definitely second all of that. So thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to double down on, you know, it is possible to be too thin. You know, I've spent a good chunk of my life on like the edge of not eating enough on the edge of, you know, like, yeah, you know, like sort of pathologically trying to be skinny enough to maintain my androgyny. And, um, you know, like for the first time in my life being like, okay, I'm transitioning when I'm on HRT, when I put on weight now, it will, it won't be like a dad bod, <laughs> you know, and like, you know, food issues and digestive issues go on my family you know my father weighs less than i do and is a couple inches taller than me and that's been true since i was 12 years old and you know like if he catches a cold he's sick for two weeks because like you miss a meal and you've mm-hmm. got nothing extra mm-hmm. right so yeah it's it's there's an underweight that's unhealthy too you know let's all remember that in this discussion yeah. yes and i also think it's useful to understand all of these sort of body types as expressions of a person life but not their value or their integrity or you know any sort of meaningful inference about their headspace or value or usefulness or worth as a person and the last thing I would add is it's also very normal for your body type to change it is normal to want to change your body type in whatever capacities and that's okay too you know we all have a body I guess in the platonic sense ideal for what we want to look like as our best selves Mm -hmm. and that looks different for everybody and it is completely okay to modify your body in whatever ways you want to and within sort of that realm there is also an extent to which you know that reasonable desire to modify your body can sort of overextend into illness into like body dysmorphia or eating disorders or any other number of sort of physically manifest dysmorphic disorders and you know all of these things exist in relation to each other relative to degrees of normalcy and degrees of impact on your health and at the end of the day every single choice we make around these is valid you know yeah whatever healthy and happy looks like to you and your body that is only up to you to decide and everybody else's job is to just stay the fuck out of it because it's not their body which is this is a discussion that is you're here kind of just recently really become very present in the Trek fandom Um, and that is because it's only been with Discovery that we've actually gotten a character who by the casting of the character with Tilly that someone who's not conventionally ultra thin you know the Hollywood beauty standard and it's the first time I mean there's there have been others well like let's talk about this like why I asked the question like why is nobody in Trek fat There, there there's a couple of exceptions but and the immediate response is well in the 60s normal looking dudes could be on television 
Right. So you have Scotty, and you have sort of a lot of like burly dudes. They're like, "Yep, I'm wearing a jumpsuit and a robust. turn a wrench in the warp core." Yeah. Robu- uh, robust. What a wonderful term. That is such a. <laughs> that's like a Wayun six level diplomatic term for you know needs two seats on the on the plane. Um, <laughs> I think but- I think robust is the perfect reflection of one of the things we're talking about here, which is a double standard for men and women. Exactly. Right? This this idea yeah. that I can be robust if I'm a man, but I can only be fat if I'm a woman. Exactly. Sure. Exactly. People who've never had their ass kicked by a robust woman, I tell you what, right there. <laughs> I mean, in the in the original series, yes, we had these, as we're saying, robust looking men, but the women were all running around in miniskirts, you know, in in whatever and wayfish yeah this very narrow ideal of what beauty was supposed to be yeah nine inches of vertical hair like a woman should have (laughs) yes and while we're on hair this is a perfect segue to something i wanted to point out that discovery is doing hair diversity as well yes uh like i am sincerely loving all of the natural hairstyles and textures I am seeing on the newer Star Treks. And this is actually even including in the movies. There were like women with a diversity of hair types and arrangements and dressings in the new movies. And I think they've really continued to be mindful of that as they have continued to cast extras and main cast members, which is something I sincerely appreciate. Well, I mean, as a punk rock idiot from my youth, uh, Kayla Detmer uh, from Discovery. Mm-hmm. That side shave in the far part. Oh yeah, I know that girl. Oh yeah, I've bu- I've tried to bump smokes off that God, lady. Yes. She will she will <laughs> not give you one. And I feel like that haircut is oh it would de-stiffens the Star Trek sort of oh well we're all in the army so we have a high and tight haircut and everybody's wearing the regulation bun. Like no, oh, yeah, the hair diversity is there. Like oh how do you want to wear your hair? Right, you're from a culture. It has opinions. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. Spot on. Well, and I guess we could even go back a little bit further because they did a lot of like hair diversity with the non-human characters. Well, yeah, but that's just a let's make that's because that's there's an something easy to be said. Like, is that like fetishizing? I don't know. Is it fetishizing that like Troy was Beta Z and sort of intentionally exotic? I mean, I think there's only yeah. so many things you can do. Well, Crusher had a little bit of that treatment too. She had the like the, the, yeah, the dreamy fair faucet hair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Big space curls. Yeah. Anyway, hair is another of the many things on your body that you are invited to modify as you see fit and also should not have to. Yes. So body type. So Rick, so we moved to TNG. You've got some dad bods, you got your O'Briens, but not But like uh, none of them are obvious... fat. Like none of them no. are really fat. Like why why is that though? Is that is it because it's the future and we figured out how to make everybody maintain everybody at a healthy weight and how do we determine what is a healthy weight because people have different body types we got people with bigger bones we got you know there's all kinds of different alien physiologies like but yeah i think i think we can posit nutrition based sort of side body issues are going to be largely a thing of the past because you ostensibly have a replicator that can i mean the the non-withstanding troy scene where it tells her that ice cream is a not appropriate dietary addition but it's like can't you just make the ice cream out of any food components and like every meal can be perfectly attuned to my personage in theory right like so like if given that level of attention to production in that scale let's say yeah all right you've cut out all of the cheetos but all the cheetos are good for you now or something right like we've we've taken out sort of food quality problems from this but we don't entirely because remember there is that episode in tng where like troy is having a bad day and she wants to have a talk about sunday and the computer literally scolds her and tells her that her her request doesn't meet the nutrition 
nutritional standards. Yeah, no, that is a fuck. That is, yeah, I was, I was trying to reference back to that and like figure out like, why would it, can't, yeah, again, can't you just make that out of vegetable pile protein and just shape it? We, like, for me, you're a molecular. Or, alternatively, hear me out on this. Okay. What if we could have all of the treats we wanted on the holodeck? Hollow treats, mm. right? Because they, they would come apart after presumably the computer appropriately energizes or magnetizes whatever parts of your brain with light or whatever. I'm assuming there would be some sort of like TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation thing going on there. Well, but no, no, what no. If, I mean, they're sensibly What if you could have the perfect, glorious experience of eating like a slice of cake and then it just doesn't count? You could eat a whole cake. Well, you know, I what's funny is that I'm actually kind of going through that with my experience. So because of my surgery, my stomach is the size of I don't know how small it is now, but it's very small. And I literally eat like four bites of food and then I'm, I'm done. I have to stop. And so I can actually eat literally whatever I want. I just have a very, very small amount of it. So if I want to have some cake, no problem. I have a little bit of cake, but I have like one bite of cake and I'm done. <laughs> Yeah. Wow, that was all the oh wow, ma'am, that that felt that that inflated when it hit the stomach, and now we're full. Sorry, it's exactly up now. Exactly. You know. So no, I I think that would be a, a fantastic solution. I I don't know, but just like because they do drink drinks. Like at Vix, you can go up to the bartender and order a drink. Is that drink coming out of a weird replicator hole, or is it a, a yeah? What like what's happening there is a very real and legitimate question. Well, yeah, um, but like you know, obviously the, the the casting standard had something to do with it because cast directors were casting people that met Hollywood beauty standards throughout all this time. It turns out there's a bunch of reasonably attractive people standing outside the CBS lot <laughs> right. to be drug on either into the audience for a late night show or a talk show or just to be on whatever. But sure. to, the, yeah. to the extent that we over the years have gotten characters that kind of defied that traditional idealized body standard, it's been almost entirely men. You know, like think about like, like my boy Harry Mudd yeah, Big Harry Mudd. Best fluffy, best hair, robust, gay space pirate, Harry Mudd. <laughs> Well, let's let's actually think about that for a second, because I think that that's part of what's going on here is we've hit on this before, this ideology within Trek that everyone's happy and no one has addictions. And since everyone is perfectly well balanced, no one really indulges in vices, you know, like mm -hmm. that kind of neoliberal like utopia that Star Trek is kind of infused with. Like, is that why no one overeats? Like the same reason no one smokes cigarettes? Oh, but see, now you're hitting on the fact that the, the assumption that society has imposed upon us that the reason people are overweight oh, is I'm because... saying that is Star Trek's assumption. Well, I'm saying yes. that is like emphatically Star Trek's assumption. But it's also that there society's... is exactly one way to be healthy. And if yeah. we made society perfect, everyone would be that way. You know, like that's, that's kind of like one assumption in Trek, you know? Yeah, and that's a product of society's assumption too. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it reflects especially like the the Roddenberry era, like a solution that will apply to everyone, right. you know, ethos. You really have to start calling into question when you start thinking about different alien physiologies, you know, like, oh, why haven't we met an alien race that prizes being a larger size? You know, you would you would think that there would be a, a race like Ferengis think that having large ears is the most attractive and important thing for a person to uh, to have. So like, why haven't we met a race where people think that being a heavier weight or being, I don't know, some other different variation on the body standard is, is the ideal norm in their society we just don't see that it's like everybody kind of conforms to this like yeah we're all skinny and healthy and great except for some dudes there are a few dudes that get to uh you know get away with being more robust we got dad bod miles you know he starts off pretty skinny
skinny in TNG, but by the time we get to Deep Space Nine, he's definitely got the dad bod going on. And then there's kind of the running joke about how everybody's got a crush on Morn, and he's even got that super <laughs> oh, hot <not> wife. <laughs> he's supposed to have hair. It's just got his tummy full of latinum. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, of course, the classic, which is Scotty, who is from that TOS era, but everyone else on that show is a smoking hottie, right? Like, right. Scotty is definitely the regular everyman, which is generally the engineer position, right? Like, is why kind of uh, Miles gets put into it in DS9, I think. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and then you've got, of course, perennial poly queer weirdo and wonder friend to the cosmos, Dr. Phlox, who, I mean, it's just not, it's not a trim species, I don't think, the Denobulans. But yeah. His, his wife kind of is. Okay, that's right. No, that's right. I forgot. Well, I always got the impression that there was like some extra limbs or organs happening under all that clothing. Like, you know, <laughs> it wasn't just uh, robustness, you know? Yeah, they layer and drape him well. Well, so... and... Speaking of that, then, like, why don't the trills have a larger body cavity? I mean, they got to have space for a look. A whole we thing. have already been down the why <laughs> can I not put a cat inside my abdomen question, and I got roundly <laughs> shut down. So I don't feel like it's fair to get to bring it back now. <laughs> Uh, well, you also see it sometimes associated with age and uh, just a general inactivity sort of to make a character either wise slash intellectual or physically weak and diminutive. Because what's his name? The guy that lives on the one guy on the Bajoran moon. He was a little bit, I mean, again, but not mean. Not really. Just sort of a little larger than the people who are wearing the skin tight outfits. And that's all you. Yeah. In TNG, they, they did cut the Admiral's uniforms much more generously, you know? Yeah. They do. They, they were kind to the older folks they had on that show. Well, they're, again, it's an analog for age. Get a little paunchy, you know? It even happened to Frakes. You see him in Picard. Yeah. It'll happen to all of us. We're all going to age and die, except for me. But no, like, Rachel, when we were talking about this before we got started, you you made the very valid point when thinking about Harry Mudd that while he's the most notable character that gets to defy that body standard and be larger, he's also literally a villain, which is a very common practice. Yeah, it is very common to make fat people on the screen into like villains or punchlines, right? And either of those are acceptable. See also Kai Wen. Yeah, yeah. Kai Wen is a great example. I think they don't do a lot of overt fat shaming in Trek that I can think of, which is nice. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like any time they actually used someone's fatness as a punchline, and I don't actually think they did. Can you don't yeah. think of any? No, I can't no, think of I any examples. they use body other ways. Like the most body shamey thing that happens, it feels like to me in Star Trek, is the Vulcans thinking we smell bad, which I think is probably fair. <laughs> There's um, that and also people making fun of their ears. Yeah. Like people yeah. making fun of Vulcan's ears. There's definitely like... But again, those are mostly uh, a sort of more xenophobia and cultural yes. analogs than they are necessarily body shaming per se. Which is a what weird I do thing. And I think this is worth bringing up. When we talk about body shaming, it's impossible to talk about body shaming in the West and really arguably globally without talking about like settler colonialism and white supremacy. Yes. And I think it's important, you know, when we talk about like, my shaming Vulcans for their ears being a racist thing, like only recently were big butts cool. Yeah. You know, for a long time, those physical bodily markers of being basically non-Anglo-Saxon were all shamed. 
Well, and let's uh, let's just pause and, you know, because some reply guy is going to get us. There are, in fact, two acceptable body types for women now. <laughs> Not just one. That is true. <laughs> there are two acceptable body types. They are conventional skinny white lady and dump truck ass. <laughs> and thankfully, I fall into the dump truck ass category, which is great because I'm having a fucking renaissance out here. And thanks be to Sir Mix-a-Lot for his hard work in normalizing this new beauty standard. But please go on, Rachel. <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, we appreciate you. We do have big butts, and you told our truth. Thank you. Um, no, but like, really, like, I, I do think it's very, very important to talk about like colorism, hair shaming, nose shaming, you know, even though those aren't necessarily things that like directly impact all of us on this podcast as hosts. Yeah, I think we would be remiss not to talk about those aspects of body shaming and sort of physical bodied identity. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And like disability for that matter. Yeah. No, there's, uh, we've talked a little bit before about how disability is so poorly represented in Trek that uh, there's really only a couple of examples. I mean, obviously Jordy with his visor as a mainstay character, but other than that, there's only been like an occasional, Yeah. you know, e either, either someone who was once healthy has since started to decline in their health and, you know, needed to have support. But otherwise there was just the, the one character in Deep Space Nine that needed the assistance with the gravity and had to use a wheelchair to get around you know other than that there's just there's not really a lot of disability representation in trek at all there's a little bit more in discovery which is good yeah late discovery deals with a little of that and kind of addresses the question of why you don't see it in a lot of the sort of golden age trek just ultimately yeah. that whole the third season and that sort of future is predicated on oh shit all that's gone that's been right. gone for a hundred years fuck so that at least that sort of brings to focus what was lost and what sort of the backdrop of how you get to that place in general in Trek. But ultimately, yeah, it's a, it is not a subject they like to tread in. Well, you know, since we're talking about Discovery, I mean, Discovery is the first series to really, well, I can't say it's the first series, actually really the first series to give us a woman who represents and embodies body positivity is Next Generation with Loxana Troy. She is glorious. She is life goals. Loxana is amazing. She's the one grand MILF to rule them all. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, she was in the era that she was filming Next Generation. I mean, she was a perfectly healthy and gorgeous woman, but she was not, you know, rail thin wayfish. She was more of an average body type and she relished in her body. I mean, there's, I love the whole storyline about Betazoid weddings being everybody has to get married in the nude and she just shows up without any clothes on. She's like, yeah, here I am. Deal with it. I love her. I, she's amazing. But she's also very much an I also just want to say I love that kind of scene where you're blocking the shots and setting it up so that the nudity is obscured. But I and I think that's one of the funniest things you can do in film. And I know it's so cheap and stupid, but that, <laughs> please go on. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, just, it's I just great. see Star Trek do it. Yeah, it's clever, and we love cleverness on this pod. But we do. We love Luxana, and she was kind of the first iteration of that. Although Majel Barrett, kind of an exception to the whole thing. She is the first lady of Star Trek. I mean, it is terrifying yeah. that you're accusing her of sleeping her way to the top <laughs> of our hearts. Well, I mean, she had the clout to do it in the time of heroin cute, you know, like we were talking like going into heroin cute era where like super emaciated was the thing, you know, and right. like she ain't do that. That's cool. <laughs> I believe it's heroin chic. Heroin cute is just a line of Bratz dolls, if I recall <laughs> from my time during this. <laughs> 
Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, the sunken eyes, that was all very like, yeah, drawing the collarbone out with makeup. Where like, what are you oh. doing? What is your, what is Christina this? Ricci. Are you mm. Creating contract. Hey, all right. Look, I'm Wednesday Adam stands. Please, please follow me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I grew up with her. She had a movie for me to have a crush on her every year of my life. <laughs> All right, so let's try and get back to the show she hasn't been on, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, because we lost her. But yeah, no, Discovery. Like, Luxana is kind of, yeah, she's kind of cruises in as a legacy product on Star Trek, which good. I mean, right, like it is paying homage to the history of the show and giving her a cool, fun character to play. Tilly, though. Also, yeah, Tilly ageism is, like, is a real thing in the movie industry. It and is. And it's good yes. that they continued to book older women for roles. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Like so for like for example, the uh the wonderful actress who played Dr. Pulaski, who was also in the original series and was a smoking hot babe, and I think actually also very beautiful in the way that she appeared in, in Next Generation, even though that hair Absolutely. style she's gorgeous. That, that hairstyle is a bit of a, t a push, <laughs> but I understand. Right. No, I like it. I like that it's butch. It's the nineties. <laughs> I it's it's short. I like that. It can still look good and be butch. Yeah. Yeah, she's like a soft. I don't butt. think that does it, is what I'm saying. Anyway, uh, yes. I'm a Pulaski fan. I have to I'm say. a Pulaski fan I too. To the hairstylist did her dirty. That's all. Her lipstick, though, was always on point every time. I'm just going to yeah, say no, that. No, she's hitting on Worf while being rude to Data. Yeah. She's got, she's plus and minus. It's, yeah, she's good, though. <laughs> I, yeah. But no, they do. Well, they set up a sort of matriarchs and sort of people in positions of authority and power, like ambassadors and admirals and shit that do keep coming in, women of this sort of age that are outside of the general casting band right yeah you know, as you said very cool oh my god do we have Best to efforts. blame star trek for inventing girl boss uh, oh. ouch. how dare is this, you is this a <laughs> sin of of trek i don't know janeway <laughs> loves that coffee she loves being up early drinking she coffee really is a girl boss though i hate having one-on-one -on -one meetings with her and with her staff but it's true mm, let's do a let's do a round table no bad ideas <laughs> so yeah no i'm sorry everyone star trek invented girl boss <laughs> you heard it here first. God damn it. <laughs> well, you know what? That's Rachel, consider that payback for making us realize that Star Trek is the West Wing for yeah. communists. Yeah, I deserve this. <laughs> this may not be a basketball program, but we sure do get the dunks in from time to time. All right. <laughs> Also, you want to hear a cool random aside? Um, no, this is a very focused Star Trek podcast. Yes. Yeah. So this is actually out, gay space shit on Star Trek cast. Look, if you can't hate what you love, you don't so love it. So the first thing I did when I was looking at Pulaski, because I wanted to look at Pulaski's hair to get like a reference to it, right? Like what's going on here? And it's basically just a white lady jerry curl. But the first thing I typed in was just the name Pulaski, thinking that it would maybe come up. And it turns out there's such a thing called a Pulaski. Lasky tool, which is, for lack of a better word, like a axe on one side and then a crowbar on the other side. So if you ever wanted to like know this oh. random thing that I just found out, turns out okay. it's a tool. Yeah, it's a firefighter's axe. Yeah, it's an adds it on one digs end. and chops, y'all. Yeah. yeah, that's for yeah. wildfires mostly. This is cool. Yeah, it's a neat thing. So I, I was hoping it was going to be like some kind of space speculum, but 
Oh, no. No, it's what? not. It's definitely not. This is from the 1800s. Um, no. no, but so, okay, let's get back to Discovery for a second because, you know, Waxana, she's an exception. We all love her. She's beloved, you know, and she was able to carry it for a lot of different reasons and it was glorious and we, we loved it. But it wasn't until we got to Discovery that we actually got a woman on the screen who was outside of the strictly idealized Hollywood body type that has a lot of male trek fans very upset because she is not sufficiently skinny and that's when we started getting all the dunks on tilly and i love her we refer to these star trek fans as assholes <laughs> or also neckbeards yeah, is another good one yes neckbeard exactly <laughs> yes no, but Tilly is glorious. I love her so much. Like, I love that she is insecure in a lot of different ways, but she's not insecure about herself and her physical appearance. She's she's insecure about her capabilities in the beginning, and she certainly grows into that. She's insecure about some of her behavior, like the way she tends to ramble and feels overwhelming when she's trying to make friends. But, you know, there's never a point where we see her, like, wrestling with whether or not she needs to drop a few kilos i just i i love her i love her so much and all the haters can jump off a cliff because she is she is wonderful importantly she's depicted as like being in shape like yeah. doing the physical training with everybody else and like and kicking ass at it yeah yeah she's depicted as being like healthy successful and thriving at that body type you know yeah. at that weight which is like really cool <laughs> allow me to offer if you would uh indulge me she is healthy robust and thickalicious <laughs> she is she but is. i actually amy so what you're saying there about doing all the push-ups and the running which again disco bringing us the running shirts that say disco and then the fun game of what it could be on any other shirt we'll do be doing that later don't worry uh maybe not today but someday the idea that the reason there's not a huge number i mean they make them all run it's the fucking navy everyone has to do push-ups and like run a bunch this this may in fact be part may lead to at least sort of ties back to the original question you had of why are there only a few body types in starfleet well because everyone it, you know that is a sort of yeah sort of pushes towards gene's approach there but the idea that oh right if you make everyone has to work out they all that you do have to like i don't know like i would probably look better if i ran and did push-ups well, yeah, but but we there are people who exist in Star Trek that are not Starfleet, you know, and we still That's don't fair. meet many robust individuals in, <laughs> <laughs> in in the Star Trek universe. You got your Jason Alexander in the uh, in the think tank, but that's mostly just because it was fun to have him on the thing because everyone else in that episode right. doesn't have any real lines; they just beep. There's a there's a couple yeah. of Klingon throwaway characters here and there that are a little more on the the chunky side, but you know that's they're big barrel chested warriors. Like what are you gonna do? And and it's always again always men, always men. <laughs> yep, yeah, no, but it's definitely yeah, no. But Tilly's Tilly's cut. Tilly's doing the work. She's she's glorious. Can we also just take a moment to pull over and talk about how ridiculously hot Mirror Tilly is? Yes! Oh my god! Her hair! I was just I about it. to talk about the sweet armor cut that she has that's like, oh sweet, so they can build actual uniforms for anyone, so this isn't, that isn't the question. It isn't a question of just, hey, we only have these outfits, so I guess we have to only, we can only hire people that are this big. <laughs> exactly. No, she's smoking hot, like the captain's armor, the gold cutting across the angle there, beautiful. Wow. And she's so good at that. She's like, she's so good at the, yes. the, as the like the actress uh, Mary Wiseman is I hope that she has a wonderful and glorious career doing Star Trek but I hope that I get to see her in other things later 
Yeah. I will say that because I know that is a risk of being in Star Trek is that you are now you. But I mean, on the end, you get to go to conventions and make a living for the rest of your life being a convention sign and shit. It seems fine, but I would like yeah. to see her in other stuff. That's all. Yeah, I think she will do well in the in, in other. I mean, I think she's been in other stuff. But that being said, I'm a big fan. We all are. Yes. And I, I think the fact that she's going to have the resume she does and the portfolio she does having worked on Star Trek in these roles, really getting opportunities to show range in terms of her character acting and her ability to flip it on its head and be a different character in the same body and to sort of really, you know, execute well on her craft because they're giving her chances to do that instead of just sort of typecasting her is going to serve her really well. So it would yeah. be nice. Yeah, I wonder if this new generation of Trek actors are going to like not be pigeonholed so much because of like the prestige nature of what they were taking part in, you know? Well, Shaniqua Martin Green came out a quit Walking Dead right before it was cool to not be on Walking Dead anymore and then mm-hmm. came to do this, uh, which was very funny. Yeah, that being said, I think Disco is still getting it wrong in terms of representation in as much as it's still kind of like a Captain Planet racial checklist. It's like, okay, we've got the black woman, we've got an Asian woman, we've got the fat woman. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've got the woman who needs eye robots. We It's classic woman we all know. They're called contact lenses normally. Yeah, and like where's the people who are multiple deviations away from the norm, right? And I think that's important to start including as well. You know, and to have more than one fat person or more than one disabled person. You know, a, a real diversity of people that includes people who have multiple deviations. Yeah, no, well, and I think I, I agree with you that Discovery is not going as far as they could in pursuit of this. Yeah, well, and because they're not pushing it further, it risks becoming tokenizing. Exactly. But I will say, too, like, I've been kind of dominating the conversation talking about, like, body weight specifically, because that is central to my experience as we've been talking about but I think also one of the things I really appreciate about Discovery is the representation of uh, gender fluidity you know we got some trans characters there that are certainly existing outside of the traditional like binary beauty standards and they're both perfectly attractive people you know um, they're they're statistically hotties. Those people are not not like that's not a an out of step casting decision. I feel like I don't know. Like having watched a lot of cyberpunk kind of stuff. No, no, yeah, that slick back haircuts and the yeah, put them in like a leather jacket. We'll see more of that. Yeah. I'm sorry. I think of them as traditionally attractive, but they're nice. They also aren't really addressing like binary transness. Like that's another thing I would like to see them push. It's mm-hmm. like I would just like mm-hmm. to see a trans woman character. You know. Right. I want to see a trans woman character that like didn't have time to shave. You know? Exactly. I want to exactly. see that particular like like not just you know like I guess I guess I'll bring this up in honor of you know non-binary day yesterday day of recording anyway like see if you can do the math these, listeners yeah <laughs> these folks are still acceptably androgynous yeah you know yes and I think that is still kind of trans misogynistic yeah. right because I'm Thank thinking you. like Thank the characters you. they have that are non-binary mm-hmm. are both people who I expect would have been assigned female at birth. 
who then transition towards the masculine, right? And this is not always mm -hmm. the case for non-binary people. This is not always the case for AFAB non-binary people. But I think there is a certain safeness in terms of presentation, in terms of people's acceptance of people who mm -hmm. are AFAB and transitioned to sort of a masculine neutral. Because mm. it's just sort of the next step beyond tomboy, which was already okay. And I, I think we still have a lot of room to grow there, you know, like culturally and in terms of our media representation. And I think that's important. Yeah. Well, we have to remember the liberal mantra, you know, trans women are women, non-binary people are women, trans men are women. <laughs> yeah, that basically sums it up, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really freaking does. And let me shout out to trans mask folks for just a second, because, you know, like, at the end of the day, most of the scrutiny is still on trans women, you know, and most of the attention is still there, you know, so let's, let's think about that for a second, too. Yeah, and I definitely wouldn't yeah. want to exclude trans mask visibility, but I do think that there's actually a certain privilege to being trans mask. There is, assuming you can access it. Um, and I'm sure in the same way that trans misogyny is a descendant of cis misogyny, I assume that the trans male privilege would be a descendant of cis male privilege. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the reason that women's pants were illegal until like the 30s in the United States. Like, yeah. You, because like you can basically just be a guy now and now I can't. You just tell me, what? How can I? How can? But you might be a lady. It's fuck saying. Yeah. But that's what right. we live there. Yeah. How are we supposed like, to know who to oppress here? Like, well, if you're, well. For real, what, but like what? even then, like it went well into the 70s, I believe, because yeah. my mom tells me stories about living in Ohio and going to school in Ohio with jeans on under their skirts so they could get through the bitterly cold winters and then having to take the jeans off as soon as they get to school because they are not allowed to wear pants at all. They have to wear skirts specifically at school, which is like amazing. Like, yeah. Oh no, dress codes at school is absolutely bonkers because it is absolutely only one directional. It's basically about making women dress away because dudes, they don't care. It doesn't matter. Anything we can wear is fine. There's no cultural attribute like oh being in an a shirt and shorts that's clothes that counts in the 50s it would have been your underpants but it still covers all your bits you're not you know out of, out of step with reality well, i think it's because all of our sort of cultural norms are themselves descendants of white cis male patriarchy yep right and it's a very specific type of person and it's and it's not even white in the sort of modern sense but specifically white anglo-saxon protestants right like wasps are the foundation of american culture which is exactly why it's so terrible god we gotta bring back slagging off wasps yeah the only thing colder than a new england winter is new england people <laughs> uh, and they run everything so that's what's going on there and it's bad and one of the things that they love to do is sort of rigidly categorize things that are sort of allowed. And so they don't really allow for any creativity in that expression because anything that rouses them at all in the least or surprises them is evil and like devilish or whatever. And, you know, they have to shut down all Whoa. joy because joy is anti-God. Well, let's, let's call it what it is for just a second. If I can exercise my personal creativity in my dress or my appearance or the way I act, yeah. then I can't just buy the most expensive thing and be the best. 
Right. Well, and I think that, you know, that conformity, again, it's about one very narrow group of people's comfort. Uh, And I've noticed in my life that once we sort of leave that culture, people become much more accepting of other people's bodies in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. My personal sort of introduction into the body modification community was getting piercings and, you know, doing like weird zany hair, which I think every single queer kid in the Audis was doing, right? Piercings and like brightly colored hair. And now it's just sort of a normal thing that like everybody has and does give it up for the good people at manic panic everybody (laughs) yes godspeed if you were broke you did it with kool-aid uh and you figured out how to make it happen regardless it was just built into our culture especially queer culture was like looking queer on purpose you know and sort of rejecting those norms but i think body modification can also be so much more than just decorating your body right it can be changing your hair color or texture it can be modifying where you do and do not have hair on your body with shaving and waxing it can be deliberately shaping the hair you have in different like styles or beard arrangements like I would say anything really that you change about the matter of your body is itself a type of modification and valid Oh, yeah. I mean, the surgery that I had was a body modification. And that's actually one of the reasons why it took me yeah. a long time to decide to go through with it. Because although yeah. it was very clearly like medically justified, I had to come to peace with the fact that I was going to make a major, permanent, irreversible modification to my body. And right. I'm, I'm glad that I did it. I'm extremely glad that I did it. Um, I'm, I'm healthier for it. But it was a huge decision and not one that I made lightly. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, I'll throw I'll throw HRT on that pile of things that are body modification invalid. Um, and I resonate with the you know, there not everything about HRT is reversible, you know, and it is a body modification. And yeah. I feel like I struggled against the natural fallacy for so long before I decided to transition hormonally. See, I'm still waiting on the Star Trek future because the exact reason I have not hormonally transitioned is because I don't want to give up permanently the femme features I have. I want to be able to just go back and forth, you know? Mm. I want to have like a press-on dick or something. (laughs) Like a detachable penis. (laughs) Yeah, like just print out of the holodeck. But like, I want to feel it. I want to actually have it, you know? I just don't want my face to masculinize, you know? I don't want like to lose my singing voice. Like there are other aspects of my body Mm. I want to keep. So I don't know. Fortunately for me, my body is entirely perfect, so I don't have any of these issues. <laughs> That's not true. I have so many problems. But No, but but Rachel, that is an insight into the trans experience. Like if you think about those things and you have none of those regrets or those regrets are so small compared to what you're gaining, then you're probably trans. You yeah. know, and it doesn't matter like how masculine you feel speaking to my fellow trans women, but or how feminine you feel if you're a trans mask, you know, it doesn't matter any of that. What matters is like can you really think that of anything you're giving up that matters to you? And if you can't, you know. Yeah. Hop on down to Planned Parenthood. (laughs) Right, right. Well, and I mean, that's the difficulty we have with our modern technology and with biological gender as such, right? Is we sort of have this, we have this on-off switch kind of sort of in the forms of estrogen and testosterone, right? And if you have enough testosterone, it makes these changes to your body that are permanent. You know, it fundamentally changes structures of your body with estrogen, you know, and testosterone both, they control like where and how you put on fat versus muscle. Like these are like significant things to change 
about yourself. And once you put on fat in a space on your body, which we can kind of bring this back around to the body positivity that we were sort of initially talking about in the sort of very conventional fat phobic sense. When you put fat on your body, the cells themselves get bigger and then divide. And then you just permanently have more fat cells there. Mm -hmm. So if you are to transition by transitioning as trans feminine, you will always have that extra fat in those places for the rest of forever. And I, yeah, I'm saying this. <laughs> right, right. Well, and I, you know, and I'm saying this, which is great for trans women. But for me, uh, you know, on a more sort of non-binary scale, when I got pregnant, it fundamentally changed where my fat went for a while. Like my mm -hmm. hormones were crazy, especially right after having a baby. And it was the least at home I have ever felt in my body, mm -hmm. you know, ever. A lot of people feel that way after they evict someone out of their house. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah Rachel, fair. at some point, you're just going to need to start calling it gender dysphoria. And you know, yeah, cool. and like, it's fine. Like I identify as a trans person. I identify as a trans good, person good, who good. is not going to transition because I have dysmorphia and the technology does not exist to give me the body I actually want. So I'm going to err on the side of not getting harassed. And that's the like sort of decision tree. Let's pause the pod ship for a second there and like just emphasize to all our listeners that that is also valid. Like, yes. There yeah, are plenty exactly. of trans people that are non-binary. There are plenty of trans people that are not doing a physical transition or even a yeah. social transition. Like you still yeah. know who you are and you are still my freaking ally. You yes. know, I'm still marching with you. The most sort of accurate descriptor I've found for myself is just agender, honestly. Like, I just mm. think gender is stupid and I want it as far away from me as possible. And I think of woman as a thing that happens to me on a regular mm. basis. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the time, I would rather just ignore it and not think about it. Yeah. Well, I don't want to, this isn't supposed to be a free therapy session, so I don't want to get too much into telling you what to do. <laughs> no, don't worry. I'm going to bill all y'all for this. There's no way this is free. Yeah, well, I, I want like if there are young trans people and young non-binary trans people who are struggling with these things to hear it come from somebody yeah. who's confident and happy about yeah. their choices. And I think that's important. Yeah, absolutely. But I wanted to sort of get back to the story I was telling, which is my body continues to have fat in those spaces that it added it while I was pregnant. And it did permanently change sort of the mapping of my body. In some ways, it's nice because, you know, I've always been sort of voluptuous, but it like made it more so like I'm more ass and titties than I used to be. And I've enjoyed playing with that in some ways because it's like I'm attracted to women. I see myself as attractive. You know what I mean? And I enjoy mm -hmm. my shape. But it's also like the exact reason that I can't put on masculinity or feel like I wouldn't be able to pull off masculinity is because my shape is so dramatically femme. And so mm -hmm. for me, mm -hmm. what I want for my Star Trek future is to just be able to do either or both or like have like a character slider chart so I can just be however much on any given day I want to be either, you know? Like I want the Ranma one half experience. This is the magic button question. Yeah, yeah. Would you right. push the magic button? And that appears to be an option in the Trek universe. I mean, how many times do we see like Cisco goes in to get turned into a Klingon? Like no problem. And then gets turned right back into Cisco. No problem. And then Quark becomes yeah. a woman for a few days. And, you know, no issues there, except he had briefly some residual impact from the, the hormones still playing with his emotions, you know, for a, like a couple of mm. extra days after that. It, you know, it's, it seems to be like a very simple thing to just have so inconvenient to have empathy radical transformation yeah. of your body like is is apparently as as easy as getting a hypo spray almost um with like so sign me up for that yeah. because i certainly you know would love to be able to have those options 
Yeah. And if you're struggling with this kind of stuff, you know, speaking to the audience again, if there's a magic button that would swap your gender with no consequences, would you hit it no times? Would you hit it once? Or would you hit it twice a day? Those are all like valid answers. <laughs> Paul just shared in the chat, the perfect body doesn't exist and it's just two balls of light. <laughs> Those are Organians. They are beings of pure thought and energy. They're native to the planet Organia and they really almost fucked up the Enterprise NX. That being said, I am, have really started to lean into um, further into my body negativity as part of this conversation and I'm hoping yes. to be a cloud of gas or tiny metallic robots or just pure light and form. What about an ugly bag yeah. of mostly water? As I'm already yeah. doing that. I'm a, waste, I'm a shitty chimp robot with dolphin software cooked in. It's fine, but... For those who have never met Paul, to be clear, I've met Paul in person. He cute. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. But again, bodies, they're gross. They're full of holes. They're all goopy. Mm -hmm. and ball light, baby. Give me that gas cloud lifestyle. Well, I will say this. I don't really care what Paul looks like because he makes me laugh. Oh, you know what they say? Wait, everybody loves a gas cloud with a sense of humor. <laughs> oh, so that's a pretty good rundown. I mean, we've spent a good amount of time laughing it up and being very supportive of each other and everyone else and all of your ugh, bodies. Uh, that being said, it is always a time at the end where we play a little game. And I have, there are a couple of options we were kicking around, but since I've taken the rudder, we're going to be doing the one I thought of, which is what is, do you think the most disgusting bodily hygiene issue faced by any species in the federation oh any so like species. the thing like pick pick your species and then pick the thing that's the grossest that they have to do i will lead because i assume it's klingons it mine is of course klingons and what the what the problem is if you are a klingon of course is if you've got you know like um waxy ridge so you got to get a little q-tip a little scrapey guy and get, oh, the, no. get the get the goth or whatever you got ridge that smegma yeah your ridge smeg you gotta you gotta clear that out. It really it's a it depends on the shape of your forehead how gross and how weird it is you may have to like sort of roll something back or you know any number of questions that anybody from europe might be able to answer for you that being said uh, i believe i've given you sort of the spirit of the thing please uh share with us your most feared and most ferocious hygiene problems from across the alpha quadrant or beyond you gotta wonder with the andorians like do they have to clean their antennae the way that we have to clean our ears like how does that work yeah, it looks like it does look like a little lobe or Ooh. like there's an orifice and like an ear or nose hole kind like, of does feel that ever it, get infected it? like you know how, we, we see the we see how the long is the standard q-tip oh god sinus, what does sinus infection look like on andoria are they all like puffy and like goop and like floppy and Ugh. shit or like we see um we see that the kind of ear problems that ferengi have like you remember that episode where uh, where Quark, you know, is screaming on the bed in sick bay, and then Julian pulls like a big spiky piece of whatever out of his ear, <laughs> like mm -hmm. awful, yeah, it's just awful. Like, gotta get that serious ear candle. That's it's right. Like, gonna, you know, if you give yourself too much umox, that's what happens. <laughs> oh no! Uh, ah, it makes your gross. ears hairy. I gotta say, the uh, for me, I'm thinking it's got to be the Benzites, the blue characters that have to wear that breathing apparatus. They got the like little multi-facial fold thing going. Going on Ooh. that seems like oh, that would yeah. be kind of tough to keep clean and yeah like a jowl yeah oh Corey, that's exactly what i was gonna say uh oh. <laughs> oh that like well there's our winner bronchial um, action yeah <laughs> oh well, and you have to keep your mouth thing on while you're doing it too. Like if you get out of the like too far to the side, you start suffocating. <laughs> you 
get out of range of your little breathy thing while you're trying to scrape off your uh, jowls goop. Rachel, you were saying something not gross. Yes. It sounds like we're already talking about the benzites, which is nice. Do they smell fishy? I don't know. Because, yeah. Like, what would they... I feel like they would have something that would not only be, like, gross in every conventional sense, but actively toxic to humans, right? Because they're breathing an atmosphere that would be actively toxic to humans, and the human atmosphere is actively toxic to them, right? Would their gross not sort of be default grosser because our bodies are programmed by millennia of evolution to find those smells and tastes repugnant? Or is that like a human is that an anthrocentric perspective that we should put in the past you know you know they weren't fishy in my head until now but now they're definitely fishy well the acridity of food is basically the response right like you are responding to general things that your body knows won't make it happy however this again as children learn to love olives and things like that you embrace this sort of vinegary acrid smell so i assume you would get used to it like you would get comfortable standing around a bullion but i imagine no it's probably weird when you first run into them but again we talked about this Vulcans think we stink well yeah Okay, I got I got to change my answer because I got two new contenders for the if we're talking about like a new challenger enters the revolting field. <laughs> okay, so so two things come to mind. First of all, the Breen. Okay, they never take off those helmets. Like what's going on underneath those helmets? You know, I, I don't know. Oh, the Breen are canonically four species that formed an alliance and the helmets are an accommodation. Some of them do not have the snout that would be pushing forward in that, bo- that sort of a uh, uh, Princess Leia in right. uh, Return of the Jedi way. But then there are ones that do have a snoot, but the helmets all being the same gives them a unity of, of appearance. I'm just saying after a year and a half of having to wear a face mask everywhere I go and feeling like how like walking around and especially in summer heat, you know, when you're sweaty and feeling gross, you know, how oh, there's like spit on the inside of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, assuming like in the yeah, yeah. Your goggles, now imagine like... that, but you're in like a full body suit like all the time. I'm so fucking itchy. Their, their itchy. skin must come off when they take it off. Like oh, the whole, their whole skin just sloughs oh, off be, with the gotta uniform. Be, they got to have some kind uh, of fungal infection going on it's got to be awful but another contender i don't like this game anymore <laughs> i got another contender <laughs> I got another contender all right the founders because when they're in their liquid uh, state they're sloozing around on the floor picking up all kinds of dirt and germs well, there could just be anything in there oh yeah it's like yeah. silly putty is it sticky? Does it get hairs caught in it? To throw back to more 90s kid stuff, Jack. But I mean, is it even organic, right? Because they can become anything. Like, are they comprised of organic material even? I mean, they I die. feel like they would have to be some kind of like psychic telepathic force primarily and then able to channel their energy into manifesting. Is it like those sticky hands you throw in the window? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> oh, no, God. like I'm seeing the oh, sticky hands. Oh, can you yeah. imagine like you're with Odo and he's just like <laughs> taking in a nap be in a bucket of jelly for a while and like oh he runs himself through a sifter before he does right, it like he like pours himself like through a sieve hair and like weed dust out oh, of hey, him a yeah. nickel uh, <laughs> that's awful that's awful that's I know. all right well i think you found true. it that is it Corey. welcome to the victor's <laughs> circle good lord <laughs> You know what? Honestly, though, I don't know that we can get grosser than the human body, which is objectively very gross. Like, have y'all ever smelled a tonsil stone? 
Yeah. That is why I'm so pro gas cloud. God damn it. I we've been over this. Human bodies are a vaulting pile of holes. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, We're gross. All right. I'll do you one better. Just just imagine giving Odo a blowjob. Uh, what the like there's fuck? always that there's already that hair issue, but like you don't know what hair it is or where it came uh, from. And also, wait, 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 let's back up. When he finishes, no. what is no. that? Uh, uh, <laughs> Is that, do you have him in, is he, is that, you know? Anyway, this has been Gay Space Communism, <laughs> a product of the not safe for wonks media empire. Uh, Apparently not safe out. for anything, media empire. Not, this has been our body positivity episode where we have made you feel very bad about the idea about having a body. But we think you should do well with yours and enjoy it as much as you can. Rachel, take take us home. What do we got for plugs? We got Say the thing. You, you know that you're better at that. Well, listen, if... You are stuck with a smelly, stinky, awful body. At least you should be able to change it to look the way you want it to, aesthetically speaking, or perhaps even become odorless in the future. Paul, I do root for you to someday have your incorporeal, gaseous body that you so desire. Oh, it's going to be such a sweet shade of purple. Oh, I'm going to be so sad. Hell yeah. In the meantime, thank you for flapping your meat pieces with us on the pod. Not how we call it. That's, we don't like, that's, see, that's part of the thing. (laughs) Meat pieces. Flapping your meat pieces in the form of beautiful, beautiful words uh, like the ones I just uttered. If you would like to help us afford our various surgeries to make ourselves gaseous and or, you know, more or less feminine, depending on the person, you can Let's go. Let's stick with the bodily integrity issues first. Yeah, like we can figure out the gas cloud thing. You know, it's expensive. I, I would be okay with stacked. If I get to stacked, I'll be good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, if you want to support all of our transitions, including Paul's transition to gaseous form, you can go to patreon.com slash not safe. That is a Patreon for Not Safe Network, of which we are a member. It is a group of leftist podcasts. We all sort of boost and support each other. Uh, it is a really awesome network full of really, really cool shows. We have our flagship, Not Safe for Wonks, uh, which we just mentioned here briefly. Briefly, not safe for anywhere if you're in the side projects. We also have Hot Girl Agenda. We have Sentai Truther Club, which is kind of like this show, except it's about Power Rangers and so many other fun, cool things. We have Kenzo Shibata's Meet the Left. And of course, we have this show, which is wonderful. I really wish Meet the Left was a grilling show. Meet the Left isn't a grilling show, is it? <laughs> you know, I'll talk to Ken's. I'll pitch it. I'll pitch it so that it can let's be like a okay, combo, let's... like interview slash grill pill pod. I actually think Kenzo would be super into that. Yeah, we have a bazillion shows. They're all great. If you want to learn about them, you can go to notsafemedia.com or you can follow the main stuff on Twitter at NSFWalks uh, or you can follow our podcast specifically at Gay Space Cast. We love you. We want your attention. Uh, and if you would like to follow me, I'm at Punished Rachel K or Myth of Sisyphus on Twitter and Reach Rachel Khan everywhere else. Somebody got banned from Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I we don't talk about that. Enough for <laughs> shouting at a turf about her weird essentialist opinions on what women look like Rachel? and why she can't be around trans ones. So Rachel, you had me at shouting at turfs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's yeah. keep it simple. You got banned for calling a turf a turf. Yep, I did. Much. And you know what? I would die on that hill a second time. Yeah. However, in the meantime, yeah, I miss my right followers, so go follow me on Twitter. Yeah, everybody go follow Rachel, and you can follow me at, at CM Archibald. I'm there. I talk about politics and Trek and sometimes cats. Post like a lot of pictures of my very beautiful butt also. Since we're on body positivity, I'm all over it. 
Uh, well, and I guess I, I'm at hashtag subtext on Twitter, and you can find me there, and you can listen to me on Critical Bits at Critical Bitcast on Twitter also, or more of this. I don't know. I got live shows and shit coming up, but you, this is out of sync with the reality, so you, it doesn't matter. Anyway, this has been Gay Space Communism. I'm Paul Byron. I'm Corey Archibald. I'm Rachel Kahn, and we are going to have Amy record her signing off after this, and we'll just sneak it in under the radar before it gets published. Thank you so much for chilling with us, for talking with us, for celebrating all the diverse, beautiful types of bodies there are with us. And rich, you know, everybody. Paul, I really do. I hope you get the gashes. Ah, there we go. I want that for you. Space the rich.